This is episode 57 with Julianne Ponin. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is Kirsten Ross, and I'm the host of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. Well, I have to say, I am tired. I just flew back from London to Canada uh, with a nice four-hour layover in Montreal, and I have about nine hours before I fly out to Denver, Colorado for the weekend uh, for a conference. And I have to get these clips to my audio editor before the weekend. So it is about 2 a.m. in my brain when I literally just got home and busted out the microphone and uh, wanted to finish off this episode with you guys. The reason I was in London was I was actually visiting a client uh, that I've had for about a year and a half now. Um, Julianne is my only non-crowdfunding client and she runs a company called Creative Nature Superfoods. And I started working with them before I specialized into crowdfunding and I just love what they're about and what she's been able to do with the company in a very short period of time. And part of her success has been mainly offline and now what I do with her is I help build the online sales part of that um, through digital marketing and such. So today, you're probably wondering, okay, well, this is a crowdfunding show. And if, well, why are we speaking to someone who hasn't actually had any um, success crowdfunding? Well, it's because of her business model is very um, pertinent to once you finish your crowdfunding campaign, you have to start looking at distribution strategy. And yeah, a lot of you with products are going to go online, but you might also be exploring the retail route. And you may have no idea how to get your products placed in some of the major retailers. So Julianne has had a lot of success um, being able to position her company in a strong position and getting listed in some of the major supermarkets in the UK. And um, Asda, Sainsbury's, Tesco, um, she's been able to do that at the startup phase. And today we're just gonna be going through what her experience has been and what are some tips she would suggest that you do to get started, what to watch out for, and what are some of the mistakes that she's made while bringing a new startup into the retail market and whether it's right for you. So I'm pretty excited for that. And if you are a new listener to the show, we want to help you get started um, with our crowdfunding toolbox. So go to crowdfundinguncut.com and you will um, get our most popular episodes to help you get started with your crowdfunding learning, as well as a uh, freebie to help you build your audience prior to launching, because that is super important. In terms of today, I'm just really excited to have you here. So um, I want to get started by, can you tell us a bit about Creative Nature and how you started the company at, you're what, 24, 23 when you started? Well, I was 22 when I okay. first started, oh my God. so right. quite young. Uh, thrown in at the deep end, I took over the company, did a management buyout. Yeah. Uh, okay. It was doing like loads of random stuff, so incense, candles, you name it. Changed it so into like random. a core superfood brand. Yeah. Tainted for people with allergens. Mainly because I suffer from anaphylaxis. Yeah, like a lot. You have a lot of allergies, hey? Yeah, I'm allergic to literally everything. Nuts, chocolate, you name it, I've got it. Oh my god. 
Yeah. And um, my favorite is when your boyfriend of, what, almost a decade still... You have so many allergies that even he has a hard time keeping up. But it, yeah, like... Yeah, he nearly killed me at Easter. Oh. But he tries. We love him. We really do. He's actually listening on the other side of this, but... Um, it just goes to show that she's created a brand out of a personal affliction or problem that she had and she was looking to solve that need for people. And so with your suit, like what kind of product lines do you have? What do you sell? So we sell like a range of seafood. So that can be like whole foods like goji berries. We've got the protein powders like hemp protein. And then we also cater for on the go seafoods, okay. which yep. is like snack bars. And then also uh, the new thing that's the baking mixes, and they're free. I love those allergens. Yeah, I love the mixes because it's just like an easy to use packet for like a busy mom or whatever, right? Yeah, literally well. 20 minutes in the oven and you're good to go. So when you first started, is um, it was your dad's company that you took over? Um, yeah, so he he invested in lots of different companies. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just him um, who was director. There were other directors, so I had to do a management buyout. Yeah. Um, and then got rid of the whole team, right? Uh, as it just wasn't working, the dynamic, and I was sort of sitting in my office all by myself, not knowing what to do. Oh no. Right. And then at the time, was the company pretty profitable, or? No, the company itself was in over £56,000 losses. Oh my god. So the first thing was we had no cash flow whatsoever, so right. I, I didn't have enough cash to put in to even get us out of that oh to start with so it was sort of a bit stupid and when I look back it probably looking back it would have been easier to start from scratch than it would have been to just yeah because you basically took some weird random product lines that have like just housewares and whatever and you focused the brand around superfoods yeah around really superfoods good. and allergen free products yeah and so how did you when you're 56k in debt your company's in major losses like that. How did you turn, because I know your story, but how did you turn that around in 18 months to be a what, profitable enterprise at that point? Yeah, within 18 months we were back in profit. Yeah. But it's that crazy. was How'd one you do of it? the like, hardest things to do. It's looking at, for me, it was looking at the different accounts that we had and cutting back on things we didn't need. So it's really important for entrepreneurs to look at their balance sheets. I know it's daunting sometimes when you have no... Um, experience in finance mm -hmm. but at the end of the day that's where your budget comes from so you need to ensure that you're looking at this so what i did was i pulled up our PL, mm -hmm. pulled up our balance sheets and said right okay what are all these dues and subscriptions that we're paying what are all the insurances do we actually need these yeah um, yes long term maybe you would yeah but short term do you really need an insurance that's going to cover you for a product recall that you don't have enough product to shift yet. Oh no, yeah, okay. Probably don't need it. Right. So you cut your expenses, and did that help, or did you really have to push sales too to try and offset that? So that was the first step. So the first step was just understanding the business, understanding what we had, and pulling money from everywhere to try right. and keep suppliers happy. Then the next step was building credibility with my suppliers. Yeah. So making sure I had the credit facilities, getting them to trust me and know me as a business. And when you're in 56k, no one wants to give you credit. No, so you've got exactly. to, you've really got to push yourself out there and make sure you're building that relationship. Face-to-face -face meetings really work for that. Okay. And then the third step is bringing someone in to mm -hmm. be able to start building your team. If you can't right at the beginning and you're one person, a company, 
okay, you're going to have to look at outsourcing certain things, yeah. that's when the sales comes in. So you have to start building your product actually selling. So actually going out there and going, okay, I've got a product, now I need you to buy it and make some money. Right. So when you first took it over from your dad, where were you listed? Like, we how did you sell? We weren't exactly listed. Okay. So they were doing, like I said, loads of different products. So, yes, certain health stores, you would say. But in terms of where we were listed nationally, nowhere. Okay. Right. So what was your first big listing client that you got? Like, was it Tesco? Was it Sainsbury's? Like... What was it? So to, to begin with, we built the independent trade and okay. also we built like the smaller chains. So you've got places like Planet Organic, mm -hmm. that, um, Revital stores that have okay. like 12, 14 shops, but still them as a whole, it's quite a lot of revenue. Yeah. Um, so that was the first step. And then when we got Tesco's, it was literally um, in 2014 and... That year, before we got them, I wanted to give up. I wanted to throw in town. Why didn't you? I have so many questions, but yeah, why didn't you quit? I like, didn't quit, mainly because of Matt. So, my yeah. partner, he literally said, look, look how far you've come. Look how much you've achieved. You have to get over this hurdle. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't. Like, we tried to crowdfund. Mm -hmm. We actually did try, because um, I needed investment. So, the company was in profit. Yeah. But just because you're in profit doesn't mean you've got cash. Like, you're not cash rich. And as a small business, you need cash. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you're waiting on supplies. Um, you're paying up the supplies in advance and waiting on payment for, like, three months. Yeah. So you have to balance that out, which is where we went for investment. I thought it was going to be easier than it was. Like, I had a lot of investors that I knew from banking. Yeah. Um, but none of them wanted to invest. They all said it was too risky. Some said I was too young. Yeah, lots yeah. of different comments. I went on Crowdcube. For equity crowdfunding, right? Equity yeah. crowdfunding, yeah. yeah. Um, literally, unfortunately, when the, when the campaign went public, it, was, it did quite well right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then it completely plummeted. Um, due to um, comments on the forums, so that's why I think oh, it's no. really, really important that you respond in the correct way to those sort of things. Right. And we didn't end up getting the funding. Okay. What kind of comments were you getting? Like um, just loads of different things, like the company's too messy because of the previous directors, and they were directors but they weren't supposed to be, and things like that. So they just tore apart your business model, basically, and then yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, some of the previous employees did that so we yeah I remember that yeah it's just uh, equity crowdfunding is very different from Kickstarter or Indiegogo because you're actually having to put up your financial statements projections and a lot of things that um, consumers don't care about on Kickstarter they just want to know when they're getting their product and if you've thought about the process um, but yeah we're actually gonna have a separate conversation about equity at some point or equity crowdfunding in the future but um, I love having focused in-depth conversations around getting into retailers because that's really like okay once you have a product ready to sell how do you like actually maximize that so I'm curious why did you because 2014 is at the beginning of like e-commerce and people getting online and Amazon and all that why did you go the offline route into retailers as opposed to just focusing on e-commerce to begin with I think e-commerce is 
like there's an art to it mm -hmm. and you have to put a lot of work in at the beginning and you do have to invest a lot of time and sometimes money as well yeah so being not cash rich that proves to be a problem yeah retailers you can get a national listing um, and not as as I proved you don't have to be a huge brand to be able to do it yeah so with retailers I thought okay if I get a national listing that will then um, create credibility for my brand as mm -hmm. more people will be seeing it which will reduce yeah. marketing costs because you're directly in front of the consumer exactly on top of that you also get obviously you are waiting for payment but you can also use other ways of financing yourself like invoice financing so okay. once you get a national client most factoring companies will take on that client so you, for me I looked around and I knew specifically factoring companies that would only factor one client because mm -hmm. I don't want personally I wouldn't have wanted them to factor my whole books and also put a debenture on my company because when you come to sale it's, it's just too yeah. complicated at that yeah. point. Right. Okay, and in terms of, I'm curious about your strategy because you decided to go into independence first, so like the smaller shops as opposed to just going for the big Tesco, Asda, or whatever, that obviously would have bigger sale numbers. So why did you go the independent route as opposed to just launching into big resellers first? So big retailers are fantastic, but at the end of the day, there's no guarantee how long you're going to stay in them. Okay. So with the independence, you build up your loyal customer base, and I think that's really important because people really get behind your brand, mm -hmm. and you have to build this with a variety of people when you're first starting out. Yeah. If you're selling to your local corner shop, they are more likely to push your brand because they know you on a personal level, yeah. and that's what makes the brand sell to start with. Then as your brand becomes more known, launching into a major multiple is easier because you've got the traction from the independent. Yeah. Also with retailers they can drop you very very quickly. Right. So even though you can be in places like Tesco's, literally a month later they could be like actually um, we want to delist your product. This is when you fall back on your loyal customer base which is your independence. So you don't have um, you don't have contracts or terms when you're actually listing with the big guys? Not always. You can okay. do if you negotiate, and certain retailers that we are with, we do, but it's very rare. Usually you do not get a contract. Because you to negotiate, you need to have more leverage, which is being a big player in the market. Big player in the market, like big share. Or whatever. Or rate of sale. And if yes. you've only just launched with them, they're not going to give you a contract on your current rate of sale. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the, um, what sort of timeline? Like, did you... I know you have some crazy stories about getting your product in front of the right people. Like, you've even stalked a buyer and figured out their car. Can you just tell me about that story? Because I love it. Because no, that's sometimes like, what you have to do to get in front of these people. Yeah, so right? sometimes we, like, stalk people on LinkedIn, find out who's the right buyer, find out where they, like, where they are, and things like that. Obviously, we don't want to say too much on camera because just be inventive on on yeah. what you're doing, like, be creative, people, for example, with Tesco's, we actually baked them brownies, we got someone in our office to make, bake them brownies and send them personally to them, um, so yeah, it, it's just finding a different way, basically picking up a phone and calling them is not going to be creative enough, you've, you've got to go that step further. Yeah, because the thing with 
Tesco, Asda are these multi-million dollar companies. Like, even if you're watching this in North America, like, getting listed with a Walmart or a Loblaws or Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, whatever, um, think of how often they are pitched innovative, great new food brands. Um, you have to do a lot to stand out in the fluff, and that's where you take it a step further. Like, even with crowdfunding campaigns, I've, I've heard of people getting TechCrunch coverage or the big publications because they've literally walked into the office with their prototype and showed the person. Like, they just say, oh, I'm just in town on meetings and I just wanted to quickly drop in and see Joe. Like, just little things like that. Um, sometimes you need to do that. Some, I wouldn't say unethical, but just be creative with how you get your product in front of people because it's really challenging if you are just emailing or calling them as well. So, did you ever try emailing and calling first and then eventually you're like, I need to do more? Or what made you jump to the conclusion that you need to, like, put, like, show up at their office and, like, put superfood bars in their windshields? Like, I think it's, obviously, you st it still is a numbers game. You still have to make big calls. You still have to follow up with emails. You still have to make appointments to see them. If that then doesn't work, then you go to the next stage. Um, obviously, with calling and making a meeting, it's much easier and you can sit down with them and explain why your product is good for their store. But if you can't do that, then you take the next step. I think throughout the process though, you're still going to have to be making those calls, you're still going to get rejection, you're still going to get to put the phone down on you about a million times, but one in that million, then you finally get a meeting. Right. So who was your biggest retailer when you got it? Was it Tesco? Tesco's was our first retailer. Okay. Um, and that was one of the hardest because it was scaling up within such a short amount of yeah, time. Yeah, because you doubled that year, right? Yeah, we doubled yeah. turnover that year. Um, well, actually, we more than doubled. So it was a big so scale up. Walk me through then. How did you get that initial meeting with them? So the meeting with Tesco's was very interesting. It... I had my last bit of marketing spend at the time, and I spent it on a trade show yeah. uh, called Natural and Organic Products. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, this is the last time like we're actually going to roll the dice and we're going to try this. And every one of my team was told to pitch um, the retailer as if they were the next Tesco's or Sainsbury's. Because with, at the show, you don't actually know who those people are. Yeah, They turn their badges true. around or they take it off because they don't want to get bombarded by which makes sense yeah yeah by people it. so what we did was we pitched every single person as if they were the next Tesco's and funnily enough we got a call one week later from the show from a Tesco from the Tesco buyer wow and she said um, I really want to um, launch your products I love the product I love the team and I really see this fitting into store in my category Perfect, yeah. And I said, okay, amazing, jumping up and down, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And then I found out we had to launch in three weeks. She was like, normally it's 12, but we need it in three. And what is the... Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, we need it in three. So I was like, okay, that's great. I was like, first of all, my answer was... She was like, can you commit to this? Yes. Of course, we'll make it work. I'll make yeah. it work. Say yes now, figure out how to do it later. At yeah. the end of the day. So I ran down to Matt, who was in the warehouse, and it was a tiny little warehouse. And I said, we've made, like, we've done it, we're getting into Tesco, um, she really wants to launch us, we need to fill in the new line forms, we need to 
um, make sure the product is ready to go in store three weeks time. He said, call her back and say, that's impossible, no way, we can't do this. <laughs> so... <laughs> I love the facial expressions as they happen behind the camera. <laughs> So he was just like, there was just no way of doing it. Yeah. And I was just like, no, there has to be a way. There, there is a way. And we worked it out. If we worked till around four in the morning every single day for the next three weeks with our mums, dads, sisters, brothers, brothers, girlfriends, sisters, boyfriends, we would make the launch trade. Great. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. It was uh, like make it or break it. So. Wow. And they wanted the new product, so they... Uh, let me explain. So at the moment, at the time, we had tubs, and they had old packaging on. They wanted the new packaging off this. Which you hadn't launched yet. Which we hadn't launched, and to get new packaging in, it would take six weeks. So immediately that was out. Wow. Right. So it was hand-labeling thousands and thousands of tubs. You taking a tub and you wrapping. Yeah. Like... And then boxing, and then sealing. Wow. And how many did you have to get for that launch? Thousands, at least, I don't know, ten thousand. Okay, least. jeez. So, did you make it? We made it, but that wasn't the last hurdle. We got it all packed up. Yeah, it was amazing to see it all packed up. And we had ten pallets, 800 kilograms per pallet. And Tesco's trucks turned up to pick up. And it was so exciting, of course. So, we yeah. were all like, Well, we're doing it. was actually just me, Matt, and me in the end because. Our families were very, very tired by the end of it, yeah, as you can it. imagine. So, yeah, it was Matt and me going, yes, yes, yes. Um, booked it all in. They turned up. We, they said, okay, can you load up then onto the trucks? And I said, yeah, can you take it then? Can you take it on the truck? Yeah. Like, you, you, we need to use your forklift. We don't have a forklift. No. We don't even own a forklift. <laughs> like, we didn't. Like, so, rental time. I said, okay, there's no worry, we'll just call the buyer and be like, can you send someone a tail truck, tail lift, and it'll be fine. Called them, they said, unfortunately, there's no way, like, you have to make this launch, otherwise you'll be fined per... <laughs> so, yeah, we were just like, what do we do now? And it yeah. was Matt's idea, actually, and he ran down to the, we're on like an industrial estate, he ran down to the end of the road and said, uh, asked this tile company, he saw they had forklifts, and he was like, oh, can I, can I borrow your forklift? And they were really helpful and said, yes. But they said, you can't drive it up to where you are because the, we don't have a license to drive on the road. Right. So there was 800 kilograms, 10 of them, that we had to try and get down to. <laughs> so yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare. So Matt was just like, how are we going to do this? And he put, he loaded them on this tiny little pump truck. It was, oh no. And he pulled them. He pulled them oh to the end of the road. And you did it. Yeah, we had but, like oh this. Oh my god. Yeah. So, okay. I love that. Health and safety then. though, don't do that. Like, don't get your employees to. Yeah, disclaimer. Kilograms on the palette. I've done not so safe things with my employees either when I was doing a painting business. Um, not gonna make myself look bad on this, but story for another day. 
I got so wrapped up in this conversation that I forgot to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software tool that helps you deliver your beautiful products to your customers once your campaign wraps up. They will help you with customer surveys, fulfillment software, order processing, and all that lovely stuff that you really shouldn't be handling on your own. So they've helped over 2,000 project creators and have fulfilled orders to more than 3.5 million backers with their processing software. So if you want more information about how you can get involved with those awesome guys, go to backerkit.com. Usually now, because you're placed in multiple retailers, you've had multiple meetings. What would you say is the, if you had to set good expectations with someone who is starting out in retail, how many months would you say it takes to get a meeting? Um, well, that's really hard to say because it can happen very suddenly. Okay. Um, I think your first one's going to be your hardest because obviously you haven't got any track record. Track record. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it's with any business. If you yeah. don't have a track record, you can't progress very easily. Yeah. So I'd say your first one's going to be the hardest, so getting in there time yeah. I would say at least three to four months mm -hmm. um, unless you're calling a lot and you're making meetings a lot of the time yeah I would say start small as well so don't always try and go for a national listing G say to them if you know your products good enough which you should do otherwise you wouldn't be an entrepreneur yeah <laughs> um, I would say go to them and say right can you launch me as a trial in say 70 stores and then you say okay after that we would look to roll out nationwide. Depending on sales. Depending when on sales. Right. Um, okay. And you can negotiate with them on those terms, which will, which will get your foot in the door, which is exactly what you need to okay. start with. Um, obviously, not being in the cash situation I was in, though. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be my first thing. And then in terms of, like, long term, it's taken us up to six to eight months to get meetings mm -hmm. with... Um, with actual retailers. Just that first meeting too. And the thing is, after the first meeting doesn't mean you're in. It, then there's usually a second meeting, then there's going to their trade team. So not only do you have to convince them, you have to convince their whole team okay. to support your product. And then you're also up against thousands of products that are also pitching at the same time. Yeah. So why do they need you over another product? You have to prove to them that you are going to bring something different to yeah. their store. Exactly what she said. This isn't, it has to be completely focused on what your brand is going to do for them because at the end of the day, they're going to be listing people that are making them money. So it's just amazing that in that first meeting with Tesco, where, like, how did you convince them? Because, I mean, what sort of things did you have in the meeting? Because um, you didn't have any, yeah, you were listed in some retailers, but nothing like Tesco, like why did they take you? What was it that you did in that meeting? Like I said, like, we did a meeting on stand, so at a okay. trade show, so it was very different. I, we've only had one other one like that, okay. um, which is Ocado, which I closed on the stand, which oh, is very okay. odd. Like normally okay. you would never get something like that, if, but if you can close very well, you, it's doable. Right. Don't get me wrong. But it's proving to them your different and you're fitting their need straight away mm -hmm. so you have to find out first of all from them what they're looking for yeah that's the key point it's not about trying to push your product on them first firstly find out what do they need what sort of price bracket are they looking for 
how, where would you fit in their store? You have to ask yourself these questions first. Because if you don't know these things, how are you ever going to pitch to be in this? Right. So are you actually asking them these questions or you're doing your research first to see? You do your own research okay. and then when they come back, so you ask them the question and you say, okay, um, I think my product will fit in this part of your store on this shelf alongside these products. So you've already done all that research. And here's why. And here's why. And then they will come back and say, okay, but why would I pick, I don't know, a superfood bar over a peanut butter? Why? Because like, you, you can be up against totally different products as well within the mm -hmm. same category. So our bar can be up against a drink, for example, which is really odd, but that's just how right. it works. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to explain to them why you're better than every single other brand but better for their store in particular. A lot of people blanket pitch, which mm -hmm. I find really, really difficult sometimes. So if you're pitching the likes of, I don't know, Asda, mm -hmm. um, which is owned by Walmart, um, or you're pitching the likes of Waitrose, there's a big difference. So yeah, Waitrose customer is not going to be your Asda customer. No, 100% no. <laughs> so why are they going to buy your product? You have to be showing them how different your product is for their customer for them to buy it. I love that. And that's why you've been able to be placed in so many resellers because And obviously it's margin as well. Margin too, right? Because would you say you being small, a smaller company is giving you an advantage in being placed over some larger ones? I think larger brands don't have the personal feel anymore, which yeah. a lot of the consumers are looking for. They want to know where the origin of the product is from. And they're noticing with the likes of like the Coca-Colas of this world, yeah. they don't know where that origin is from. They don't know what's in the product anymore, and that's what they worry about. Right. So there's that side of things, and consumers care about the small brands. They're thinking locally now more than like mass market. Right. I'm wondering what the biggest mistake you've ever made with trying to get into retailers has been. Um. Getting into retailers, I would say giving up too fast. Okay. I think you have to keep at it. Like, do you remember when we first started working together? I was like, oh, yeah, we, we should be going in to Asda. Yeah. And think how long it took from that conversation to actually like, going in. Yeah. And if I had given up never along the way. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just making sure you keep going with it and taking action so giving them an email that they need to answer your question just going hi i'm just emailing to follow up Delete. they don't care they <laughs> really don't care they want you to be like okay this is what i can do for asda this is what i can bring to your store that's what they want to hear they want right. to hear that you're going to make them money at the end of the day so is that what your follow-up email includes every time is like hey here are some changes we've introduced new baking mixes or like how do you make the follow-up not just a hey i'm wanting to follow up and see what's going on it's usually um what they think of my like what they thought of what i pitched um okay. and it's an update onto any new things about the product for example if the product has gained celebrity um, endorsement, endorsement or, yeah. i will be like this product has now gained this this and this which has brought sales to this level um this is again another point as to why we should be in store and if you were stocking us you would be getting this rate of sale 
And in terms of ask, getting them to reply to that email, how do you bait it so that they do have to reply? So you leave it with some sort of call to action, so a question and like, or something about that you know they have to answer like new line forms it and it's like when am I going to get the new line forms when right. will the launch be or I need for production purposes I need to work to a six weeks time frame can you please give me some inclination into when we would be and you of course keep track because these retailers do they have certain buying dates for launching new stuff like is it every quarter they are launching new products or does it happen all the time it doesn't happen all the time, okay. but it all depends as well per retailer. Okay. So some retailers have one range change a year. Okay, so right. It's you have that one, you've got one time chance, a year. One shot. If you muck it up, that's it, gone for the year. So you have to know that going into this, that yeah. every time you email them, every time you call them, it needs to be like that is the call. Right. And I think that's what people forget. Like, say so they think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to get a no on the phone. Mm -hmm. There's no, I won't make my pitch the best pitch as it, it's going to be. And at the end of the day, if you think like that, you're never going to get past that yeah. barrier. So, yes, yeah, so, but you're right. Some stores can do one-in-one-out system. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen very often, though. And even one-in-one-out, you're, you're still having to prove yourself against that brand that they currently sell. Yeah. That you're going to sell more than them. Yeah. No, that's true. And um, so that's awesome. In terms of um, one piece of advice for anyone who is looking to take their product with a new startup, they've maybe raised half a million or more on, crowd, on uh, like Kickstarter, for example, and they want to go into retailers, what is one piece of advice you would give them? Make sure they do their margins correctly. That is so important. You have to factor in things like promotions, uh, retro promotions, uh, quarterly promotions, there's lots of different things and then of course the advertising fees within the retailer to put per, like where, what shelf you're on, whether you like want to move up higher, whether you want a shelf wobbler, how are you going to educate the consumer that your product is now in store? All these things before you go into a retailer you need to have that budget in mind and put that into your cost price. So, just to clarify, when you sign up with a retailer, it's not only the percentage you're giving them off. No, it's okay. not only the percentage. Also, think about how are you going to get that product to 1,200 of their stores. Yeah, like, it's... Uh, yes, the manufacturing okay. side, right? Yeah, yes. so how are you going to... A lot of retailers will use a specific consolidator or a specific transport company. Yeah. Unless you have your own fleet they're not going to take you, mm -hmm. they're not going to let you personally deliver. No, of course. So Not professional. <laughs> 1,200 stores, you've got to be able to factor in that percentage on top of their margin because you've got to pay for this product to get into store as well. If someone knows nothing about the margins and for retailer, um, do you have any... Like, how did you learn about all this? Was this just going to school for it or...? Um, trial and error um, when okay. I first started. So I knew margins on things, stocks, and that sort of, yeah, of thing. Yeah, but then retail is different. Retail right? is very different. So, for example, even like a computer product uh, or an electrics product will have like a 80 90% margin on. Mm -hmm. But whereas food, because it's perishable, it will have a quicker turnaround but a much lower margin. Yeah. So you have to think about volume purposes, you've also got to think about wastage there within that margin too. 
So, yeah, I would say you're looking at around a 30% mark you need to at least be hitting. Cool. For profit or for um, cost? To sell into. Okay, yeah. Sounds good. And uh, we're going to wrap it up with, do you have any famous last words? Famous last words. Um, I love this quote. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Love it. Who says that? Don't actually know. Julian Conan. No, <laughs> no, it's not me. But no, it's it's a really good quote because at the end of the day, if you keep going and you're persistent, you will reach your goals. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, in terms of how people can find out more information about you and creative nature, where can they go online? So for Creative Nature, you can go to creativenaturesoofoods.com and please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, um, and Facebook, of course. Fantastic. And for me personally, you can get me on Twitter at, at Julianne Ponen, um, same with Snapchat and, um, and Instagram too. Awesome. Well, links are going to be in the show notes or below if you're watching this on YouTube. I always love bringing my clients onto the air. Not like I have a ton because I tend to work on bigger projects with them. But yeah, Julianne is just so inspiring. And, you know, uh, for 27-year-old, uh, she's really going to be taking that company places. So guys, if you love the show, um, don't forget to leave us an honest review on iTunes and subscribe. Um, I don't want to see you miss an episode, but you can subscribe by going to crowdfundinguncut.com and we can just send you an email. And um, hey, a few weeks ago, if you missed it, we have actually started Funder Friday, which is a YouTube series where we focus on a weekly crowdfunding tip. So hey, if you have some question that you want us to cover, well, me, I'm the person, um, then be sure to reply back to the email you get or just email me um that is in the show notes and apart from that thank you so much for being amazing and we will speak to you soon Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.